people will look and focus on the cost and they'll it'd be very hard for them to look past it because they're, they're, they're thinking of their current world and just that one line item increasing with everything else staying, staying, staying the same. When in reality, you know, yes, that one line item is going to go up. Your software cost is going to go up, but it's going to do all these other things. It's going to solve all these other problems for you. And if those problems were removed, what would those impacts be? And if yes. you take people down that a bit of that journey, it becomes a little bit easier. Still, it's hard because you're a salesperson. Of course, you're going to talk about the, all the good that could happen, sure. <laughs> not necessarily yeah. some of the troubles that could go with it. But that's pretty much it. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Really excited about bringing on a young leader, you know, sort of just 10, 15 years out of the program, 10 years out of school, uh, you know, approximately Corey Bullock. He's with uh, in sales enablement at Intuit, one of the world's, uh, you know, really killer software programs, TurboTax. And, oh gosh, all of a sudden I just forgot that the other big brand, uh, brand that they run, uh, we're going to get into that on the program. The really great thing about the podcast today is we really get into the nuts and bolts about starting a career and the types of decisions that you make. Corey reset his career, went down a path, stepped back and reset, went in another direction, talked about why, talked about the types of changes that you're likely to see over your next decade. And as a young leader, how to prepare for those, how to think about those, what most people do and what not to do. I know you're going to love the podcast. Okay. You know, listen up the values right to the end of the, of the podcast. And I know you're going to love it. So you know what I'm up to? We are busy looking to recruit an incredible group of leaders. We're just at the end of a recruiting season. So if you know of any amazing young leaders who want big lives, please send them our way that you can shoot me an email chris at leaderspodcast.ca you can send them directly to our site studentworks.com and you can share the podcast thanks so much have a fantastic day so Corey, welcome to the leaders of tomorrow podcast chris thank you so much for having me here today yeah no really excited I know we've been chatting a little bit before, uh, and 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 I know we're going to have a really uh, really fantastic talk today. So, you know, before Student Works, tell me about you know Corey. What were your biggest frustrations as a teenager, or you know who, who you who you were as a teenager? Yeah. So um, when I think back to you know life before the program, the thing that sticks out the most for me is I just didn't know what I wanted to do in life, and part of the reason for that is I'm just I'm interested and curious about everything, which is really great in a way because you can get dropped into just any situation that you can think of and you're relatively happy. Yes. The challenge with that is it makes it very difficult to focus and yeah. pinpoint what you want to do. And I often compare you know, myself to my brother in this, in this regard because my brother was very clear from an early age, like, oh, he's going to be in IT. He's a computer guy. Yes. That's just what he wants to do. And I've always been actually a little bit jealous of the fact that he had that certainty about yes. what he wanted to do. But for me, it just was never that concrete. So I always felt like I was trying different things to try and figure out what I liked and what I didn't like. And when I look back in my life, it's kind of been just one big process of elimination. I don't necessarily still know what I want to do, but I'm removing the things that I don't like to do. Okay. Okay. And you know, it's funny. I, I always loved because, you know, well, I guess we, we see, you know, hundreds every year. And so there's been thousands of people uh, like yourself who I've coached and seen and interacted with about career path. And that is absolutely something that can happen. I'm really good at a whole broad brush of things, right? That's something that's true for you, right? You know, you're, you know, you're smart. You've got good interpersonal skills. You've got a broad range of skills and, 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 and good habits. And like you said, you're interested in a lot of things. So, you know, so for me, one of the things I always like to say, I do three things really, really well. 
And and so it's like, okay, I'm 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 really great in this niche. So and not saying I couldn't do other things, but it's very clear for me. And I and I can totally see that that's a gift where a bunch of people in the past are just like, they could do this, they could do this, they could do this. And it does make life more challenging in many ways, right? Because yeah. it's like, oh, I've got to gotta cross that off. And for me, there never really felt like there was that many quote unquote deaths of crossing something off. I thought about law, but really. I always thought law for business, and it was just a way of thinking that I thought I could go through. And then when they didn't let me in, thank you, University of Windsor, for not letting me in. <laughs> you know, it was not really a big thing to cross off. At the time, I was a VP of this business and crushing it. So again, it was kind of like, I don't even know if I really would have gone. But so what do you still rely on from the program? When I look back on student works, and I mean, for some context here, I'm, I'm 32 now. I've been in the working world for a little over 10 years. So when I look back on the program and the things that it taught me, it was some really like fundamental things. Yeah. The things that now in many ways are second nature. Yeah. There are a couple here that come to mind. And one of them was um, punctuality. And I remember going through my training uh, and my district manager at, at the time, uh, Andrew Fitzpatrick, who did an episode on this podcast, which is Shout great. I highly recommend everyone go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. What he was uh, coaching us was on, it's like, you are students. People perceive you as students. And as such, they think that you are this, this person in their head Yeah, for right or wrong. And one of the ways that you can combat that and set yourself apart from everyone is by being super punctual. If you say yeah. you're going to show up at three o'clock for an estimate, you show up at three at three o'clock. And if life gets in the way and like you can't make it for some reason, call them and let them know that you're going to be late. And yeah. I really took that to heart and awesome. I was very, very on time with everything I did. Yeah. Um, when I was late, I let people know. And that did come across very positively with people. Uh, it's a great story when someone said they wanted me to come by at 8, 8 a.m. one day and I'm thinking like, oh, okay, sure. Like, let's, let's, do, let's do that. And I showed up at eight and you know, lady was still in her pajamas and kind of like, what are you doing here? You told me eight. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah, I was expecting you at 12 though. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and that has, um, you know, that, that emphasis on punctuality really carried through, um, not only for the re my rest of the time at university, um, you know, kind of getting the reputation of someone who's very dependable for group projects yes. or things like that. But also, you know, I transitioned into a sales role after university and that, that stuck with me as well. Mm -hmm. And anyone who transitioned into sales or is in sales know that unfortunately, salespeople don't always have the best reputation. You're yes. often starting from a place of uh, a mild skepticism of what yep. your motivations are. So anything that you can do to build that trust, to build, show yourself as a responsible person goes a long way. And I'm still that person who yep. you know, is very punctual. If someone says, like, if I, someone wants me to call them at 10, I'm looking at the clock at 9.58. At 9.28. <laughs> The, the, this morning, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but oh, nine twenty right. because ours started at ten and uh, nine thirty. There was there was Corey, yeah, popping on the, uh, the the Zoom call, and again, it's 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 so the world can depend on you. People in the world can depend on you, and, and yeah. you're right, getting that as a basic in your life, so powerful. Yeah, and there are people that when I've picked up the phone and called them right at the time that they asked me to call, they're kind of shocked it's just like whoa yes. you, yeah. you actually called me at 10 yeah yeah so you you start off by building that credibility and that's fantastic and even if you don't go into sales uh if you're that person who in meetings or in anything that it takes that punctuality and those time commitments seriously it shows and i still go into meetings now in my role where i'm, I'm no longer in a in a sales role, but like I, right. I'm the one who shows up to meeting and there are senior people who roll in late and like I'm yeah. the one who looks better than them. So, and somebody I can depend on Corey. This yeah. th also as well, the world works when everyone shows up on time. So, it you really know, does. in our culture, you know it, right? Like, and since you've been here, we've just gotten better and better at raising the bar around it. And just in all the different things we do, you know, before our trainings now, Corey, Back when Andrew was here, we probably would have an expectation of pe people meeting a half hour before big trainings. Now it's an hour or some trainings, it's, it's two hours to prepare and prepare the rooms. So it's just, again, it's just like, what could go wrong so that we're ready to start totally ready as, as, as people arrive? 
And it just sets you apart the more and more clear. So again, as Corey, I wanted our leaders to get this. So Corey, when there's a meeting at 10, he calls at 10, right? Yeah. Most people don't do that. They sort of call around 10. They really don't even have distinguish 10 from 1001 or 1002 or 958. There is a difference, right? Yeah. And it really is powerful to, again, set yourself apart. People recognize it. People identify it. You know, knocking on the door or being a couple minutes early. Oh, sorry, I'm just calling a couple minutes early. Hope this still works. People go, oh my gosh, this is different. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, another thing that really sticks out that was that the Student Works program really helped me with was account was accountability. Yeah. Uh, accountability and ownership. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put them together. You know, yeah. when you say you're going to do something and you follow through with it, it doesn't really matter where you are in life. That's just the goodness will roll will roll over. So, you know, when you're running the French, when you're running your uh, your ter- your territory you know, hold to be being held accountable by people when they're giving you your money to paint their house. Absolutely. Yeah. That will drill that home. And again, like that spills over into, you know, the rest of your school life, you know, being held accountable for the work that you're doing uh, with other people, which is great. And then even more so in the work in the, in the working world. So like in, in sales, or was talking to many people about, you know, what our product can do. And if it didn't live up to those expectations, then like I was the one who had to go ahead to go and fix it. And if it, yeah. if I oversold it or if I, you know, created these unrealistic expectations and it only kind of came back to hurt me. And then again, you know, even if you're not in sales, when you think about working with other teams at the office, that accountability, just doing what you say you're going to do sounds like a given, but it, it surprisingly doesn't happen as much as you might think. Yes. By doing those things, it's even small things goes a long way. And like, there's a, I'll give a story here. Like I, I got a, a new boss uh, in my role partway uh, several months ago. And um, he's based in the UK. Uh, so, and he has people all, all over the world. So he's managing that, that international team. And the first kind of compliment I got from him was from something so small. I didn't even register or when I was doing it, it didn't even register. It was just like, Oh, I asked, people to like do this process when they couldn't make it into work and you're the only one who who did it actually did uh, out of the team of the, you know like six people i'm the only yes. one who followed the super small pro- process and it just kind of blew my mind like what do you mean no one else would do this this is your job yes exactly yeah and if you build that credibility over and over again then you get this great reputation where people trust you people rely on you and that opens the doors for more and more who is going to move you up the chain of command? You know, Corey right now is with a massively successful business. We'll get into that. Who's going to move you up, up the chain if you're not responsible and accountable? It's just like, they got it. You know, that's what you want to know that, that people, they got it. You know, because you, you, there's no time in the world anymore for people to, you know, manage you dropping the ball. Right. Or no. if they do, they're going to not be happy and they're going to go, my God, I'm, I'm wasting my time. I could be talking to clients. I could be developing and working on our business to take it to the next level. And I'm managing people who are out on their integrity. Not going to work. It's really interesting because when I like, say an opportunity does come up and people start raising their hands saying, I want it. I've been on the other side of the table where I'm, I'm interviewing many of those people uh, for this yeah. position. And I just know if they're an internal can- candidate, like, oh, you're talking this big game that you're liable, but like, I know that there are things that you haven't done. So it, people notice those small things. So yes. if you get yeah. into the habit of always doing what you say you will do, it gets noticed, yeah. even yeah. if it doesn't always seem like, like it. Yeah. Oh, it so does. It so does. And, and so, so again, really, you know, Corey's talking about one of the most important of our five values, the four referability habits. Do what you say, be on time, finish what you start, say please and thank you. And one of the things as well, by following those four things, we actually just create a great work environment. Yeah. Like just, I, I want to work with someone like Corey because that's how he operates, right? That's what we have in our business. And as much as possible, we, we operate that way at, at the office level and the district manager level, and then look, look for the operator level and then have them look to have that happen in their teams. And the more and more you can push that down, the more and more success everybody has. And it's more fun to work with people. It's frustrating when, again, you know, you're doing something and, hey, the boss doesn't show up with your equipment. The boss doesn't show up with, with what you need when you need it. That's frustrating. 
Yeah, and uh, here's a, uh, something that can um, all those things roll up into the point where you say like, yeah, it's a great work work environment if people are doing those things, if people are engaged, then it makes a big difference. Here's uh, perhaps a little tip uh, for for individuals if they are unsure of what this means or unsure of like how you act influences yeah. your perception. If take right. on a small task like where that involves other people, and it could be just running a meeting. Right. And I'm speaking from a personal experience. This is kind of like an eye-opening uh, thing for me. It's my manager asked me to, to host a meeting, just like simple team meeting updates, that kind of thing. And because I was running it, I felt really passionate about it. I was yeah. into it. And when I was giving this meeting and running this, this meeting, I'm looking around the room and you have people slouched over in their chairs on their phone, not paying attention. And that is how your manager perceives you. Yes. Yeah. So if you... <laughs> it's. The, the smallest things of like not necessarily being completely upright in your chair, but like if you're just present, you're right though. Those things do show up. It's like, yeah. it's, it, it, again, it becomes your brand. Yeah. How do you show up? And I know both core and I were talking, we've actually got two screens. So sometimes we're looking over at another screen for notes or new next questions and things, but it's, it does show up. Are you present? Are you watching? Are you listening? And that that will impact your brand. That will impact the success of the meeting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So jumping out, I know, you know, one, uh, Corey uh, is at a great program or was at a great program, Wilfrid Laurier. And as I was talking to, before the, the program, people either stay a couple years from Laurier or one year and they go into this amazing co-op program working around their business and, you know, fall, fall and they get you know, great learning experiences, or they'll maybe take one of our years as a co-op, or if they re really love the program, maybe they're moving through as a district manager, but the most people or many, many people go to Laurier because of the co-op program. So you, you left the program and you went and got involved in the Laurier's amazing co-op program. So why don't you describe what those, those programs were and the, 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 the summer experiences of those jobs? Yeah, so the co-op program was really great at uh, Laurier. Uh, so kind of going back to that theme of not really knowing what I wanted to do in life, <laughs> co-op. Uh, my first co-op job was with a company uh, in Wa in Waterloo, a smaller business in the grand scheme of things. I think they were around eighty million dollars a year. Right. They had a series of product lines that they sold in big box stores globally, so like Toys R Us, Costco, things like that. They had a manufacturing facility a little bit um, a little bit north of Waterloo. So what appealed to me about that job was that the it wasn't just going to be one function. There were going to be multiple things that I got to try. And in that first uh, summer, it was a lot of operations and HR. Mm -hmm. So when I say operations, like they had this growing manufacturing process um, and they were growing so rapidly that all of their documentation was out of date. So basically it was me going around and figuring out like how everything worked in the factory. So flow of goods, flow of documents, who does what, when, where, why, uh, writing it all down. And then um, they were looking at that for some potential process improvements, HR, something similar that they didn't actually know like what everyone did. So doing a lot of that and then going back and uh, kind of going over that with my manager at, at the time, which was fantastic because I got to like see how a business works. I got to try things I'd never really thought about. I came back for another term or another session with them. Uh, this time, there was more accounting and uh, software implementation. And I can very happily say I definitive, definitively crossed accounting off the list of things I wanted to do after doing it in real life. Right. Um, and then um, my last co-op term was with American Express. And it was actually um, when I had the, when I was running student works, one of my painters was a friend of mine from high school. And it was actually his mom who uh, was a director at Amex. And because of the work I did with student works, she was interested in uh, speaking to me about uh, a co-op placement there. So that's how that one worked out. Yeah, and then that was the that co-op job was in two thousand eight, uh, and then the world ended. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. uh, it was really interesting to see because Amex is technically a bank. Um, just how hard it got hit to live through that was really interesting. But uh, fantastic co-op jobs all around. Yeah, it, and just as an aside, Steve Wolf, who has been on the podcast, really, really successful. Uh, 
guy. His his father owns the company or is one of the shareholders of the company that that Corey was talking about. So it's kind of again small world. Yes. Yeah. Be, recognize recognize how small the world is when you're operating at a higher level. You know, just again, this you know that those those stories don't surprise me at all. That's what I see so often. And again, why a great reputation again reputation built on character, built on specific habits that we actually started the podcast on makes such a difference. People, oh, I can count on this person. So no, that's, that's awesome. And as well, it's, it's, it's Corey, you know, for people concerned and understandably concerned about, wow, how will this massive global pandemic affect my career? You know, there was an enormous economic black swan event in 2008 and Corey's done really well. So, you know, it will be fine, you know, and again, obviously rocky waters, tough times. So, you know, coming out of school, what was next? What are, what are some of the things you went and did? Well, uh, so as you can imagine, I graduated in 2009 and uh, 2009 was not a, a particularly great time to be a new, a new grad. Looking for a job. So yeah. um, I am um, looking for a job. So I um, didn't land a job at a, at a university like most people did. Um, what I was able to do, though, which was kind of neat, was I got connected with a Laurier MBA alumni who actually uh, lives and works in South Africa. And uh, he just so happened to have this kind of unofficial volunteer program where he takes people and uh, brings them over to South Africa. And uh, you oh, can wow. work with him. He's, uh, he was a consultant or is still a consultant in Johannesburg. Right. So I right. uh, got to do a project with him, but also spend some time uh, in rural South Africa working for the uh, one of the charities that he was on the board of. So I spent a grand total of three months in Southern Africa uh, doing this kind of my thought process was I'm going to leave for three months. And when I get back, everything's going to be normal and I'll, uh, I'll have no problem. Um, got back. No, it was, it, it was not normal. Yeah. So I ended up uh, reaching it back out to um, Steve Hofstad at the company uh -huh. that I co-opted with um, at, uh, at Laurier those first two times and ended up getting a job there. Uh, they had um, recently launched a new product line and I was brought on to, uh, to help sell that. Uh, so initially it was me going and to trade shows, industry trade shows across the U.S., which was a lot of fun for someone just at a university, like right. being paid yeah. to go to Chicago and Vegas and yeah. some other places. Exactly. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is this is great. Yeah. Um, shortly thereafter, that maybe about a year into it, the president of the company um, kind of had a new project for me. So I, I mentioned, you know, they'd sold uh, product lines and big box stores globally, yeah, but um, had always kind of avoided e-commerce. Okay. Uh, on the basis that the model for manufacturing through retail and manufacturing to sell online are are different enough that that he didn't want to do it, but I guess he had a bit of an epiphany that oh hey we can make money on this internet thing. Right. Yeah. But they didn't have those skills, so who who do they turn to? Well, the, the young guy. He must know the internet. I don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I built out the e-commerce side of that business, which was to this day. Some of the most fun I've had professionally. Uh, oh. Literally, it was Corey. We want to sell online. We don't know how to do it. Please tell us how. So just go and yes, tell us what we need to do. So that was me. You know, building out the processes. You know, when an order comes in, where does it flow to in the organization? Who touches it? Where do we keep the inventory? Uh, some customers wanted shipping points in the U.S. Some yeah. were okay with Canada. So I have like I'm kind of setting up these multiple distribution points. Then you're building up a product catalog and going out and getting placement on e-commerce websites. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Got us set up on uh, many websites. Some of them were, you know, connections that the business had. Some of them were just me picking up the phone and calling people. But yeah, over the, over the course of 24 months, grew that to uh, $3 million in sales. I had a lot of fun uh, getting that set up. But um, what I realized yeah. kind of going through that is this, a situation where a work environment was really good and started to go yeah. bad in the sense that um, one, I realized that the, the way that you conduct business in that consumer goods type of environment, uh, as much as that's kind of what I wanted to do at the time, right. realized that it wasn't very enjoyable in the sense that I'll give a great example here. Home Depot 
Com, so the e-commerce operation for Home Depot in the U.S. Right. was one of my largest customers um, the entire time that I was doing that. I never once spoke to the merchant that I worked with. It was only ever over email, and yeah. she might respond to me if I was lucky. Yes. Uh, so in that environment, those retailers have so much power, and they know it. Yeah, it just it wasn't enjoyable. Even when you did speak to someone, they 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 really like to put the pressure on on you, grind you on margins, grind you on on timing, and yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah, uh, environment, right? Yeah. And what I also realized is, if you're not selling something online or in retail, you really only have one move, and that's to put it on sale, mm-hmm. which just wasn't very fun after you after you got to do it a few times. Yes. And then like, there was a leadership change in the, in the, in the company. Uh, a new president was brought in and he had a, uh, didn't have, as I mentioned before, the, the, the business model for e-commerce and for traditional retail is different. Yes. And they didn't really want to go down Keep that road. They yeah. weren't actually making more stuff for me to sell. So right. the last year I was there, or had I stayed there one more year, even if I had sold everything that I had, I would have sold less than what I did the previous year. So, Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, it's it's fascinating as well. You know, one of the things just to share is, is that what Corey experienced is actually what a lot of people experience. I, I, I know some a bunch of senior people who run companies, who own companies. And so how do you get involved in something you don't know? You put someone on it and say, hey, try to figure this out. Let's find someone smart who can go do this and then we'll we'll check in maybe we hire a consultant and and let's 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 go and look to build it you know and you know we're going to get someone to do a bunch of the legwork which they did um and so it's not such a strange thing that you got you know tasked to do and then again what did they find they went maybe this just isn't working as well as we thought maybe this 3 million dollar piece of business really isn't worth you know when we're doing 80 or 90 isn't worth what we thought it was worth, right? So, so it's 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 sometimes the the decisions people make. Oh, let, let's go down a different line. So, yeah, I totally hear it. Yeah. So, what did you do career wise next then? Well, I was thinking about this for a while, and uh, it got to a point where I was at uh, twenty five and had been working at this company for four years. Uh, three of it was doing the e commerce side side of things, and I realized a couple of things. So, one, mm-hmm. I don't like how the work gets done in the sense like i don't i don't enjoy this relationship of being a vendor with um the big box store right i actually realized that from as an industry in general consumer goods i wasn't really motivated by that uh, in the same yeah. way that i was before you know none the idea of not only that company's products but like other products that are sold at a large scale thinking about being involved with that wasn't really exciting right and then on top of that, just the uh, the work environment there was poor, and right. yeah, it was a company that yeah, just as much as it was a kind of a great great place to work, and I liked the people for for a long time. Uh, no one knew about it, so uh, I had tried to get some interviews, or actually, I was actually I was actually pretty good at getting interviews, um, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to translate that to jobs. At least not this is when I was still trying to get jobs in uh, more of a CPG type of space. I right. wasn't panning out because the the industry or that particular company just wasn't well-known. Okay. So I did kind of realized like, okay, well, this is not good. I need to, I need to change. And finally, I think I just kind of broke down and said, yeah, okay, I'm hitting the reset button. Right. Ended up taking a job in, in tech. Okay. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. Or I thought would be a, a better industry, um, a growing industry versus yes. CPG space, which is consolidating uh, yeah. and very, very mature. So that means there are less opportunities out there for people trying to move up, uh, whereas tech is growing and continues to grow. Yes. And I think we'll continue to do to do that. I thought that the interactions were going to be better because you're not going to have, in most cases, one large customer or a handful of large customers. You're going to have many small ones, and you're going to have the yes. ability to, uh, to have much more of that relationship focus, which is something I wanted. And as well, I believed that it wouldn't just be, oh, I'm going to discount something. There's going to be more opportunity to have more engaging and better com- conversations. And all of that ended up being true. Um, yes. It was kind of a tough pill to swallow because I ended up kind of starting at the bottom again as a, as a BDR, booking meetings, cold calling yeah. people, booking meetings uh, or yeah. demos for the account reps. But yeah, I did that for a, a little while. Ended up 
it's probably only like eight eight months or so. Um, ended up working for a very early stage startup. After that, actually, kind of during that for a little bit too. There was a bit of right. there was a period of overlap where I was testing out the the startup. Right. And then that uh, my startup experience was, as most kind of do, didn't end well. Right. <laughs> I ended up yes. getting laid off, and. Um, yeah, that that brought me to my uh, to Intuit, where I currently work, uh, where I joined the sales team, and I was there for three years. Yeah, selling uh, the, the the new version of our accounting software uh, to accountants and bookkeepers, and now I'm on right. the enablement team. And so, I think it really is important the industry you pick and understanding that you don't want to be in something that's been commoditized. So you know, Home Depot and Costco, massive organizations, and they are trying to strip all the interaction out for their suppliers. We just price, just tell me about the price. Just tell me about the price. And so they're trying to, you know, you go into a Walmart purchasing office. Well, this was back in the day. So now there probably isn't even a Walmart purchasing office. And so you, you couldn't, there was no pictures of anybody. There was, there's there no ability to build rapport. You know, they just want to make it about the price, the product, that's it. And so, you know, in a software engagement, it's the whole solution. How is this going to impact your company? How will this help? How will this work? All the different people. It's a very, very complex arrangement. So it's not just about the price, right? Which means people yeah. have an opportunity to create value, which means you yeah. know, if you're good at it, you know, if you're not good at it, you won't be there. Um, <laughs> so, but if you're good at it, you then will be able to create value, make more money, develop, you know, and you're making more money because you're creating profit and success for the customer and your company rewards you it. So yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's really, I think that's really, really key. And, and, and again, obviously someone needs to start at the cold calling, the canvassing part of it, just because how do you learn? You know, if you can't learn that, how could you go sell big jobs? It's, we do the same thing here. Let's learn how to go engage clients at the door. Okay, great. Now they want a painting estimate or a window cleaning estimate. Great. Let's go do that. So in no surprise that you found that something that you could go do, you, you had success at it. So tell us about Intuit and what Intuit does so that our, um, it's a big brand, very successful organization, but, but good chance some of our leaders are not that aware of it. Uh, yeah. All right. So if uh, you're probably most familiar with TurboTax, that is the software yes. that, uh, that one of the softwares that Intuit uh, produces. That's the, it's called consumer version tax software. Uh, you may also be familiar with uh, QuickBooks, which is more of the accounting and bookkeeping tool. So, so there's a few others that are there, but less, uh, less well-known unless you are in the industry. But right. um, Intuit is kind of going, what, what was really great about in, Intuit is uh, they've had this, this desktop QuickBooks software for 30 years. It's fantastic. There, it works. There's no bugs. People yeah. love it. But yeah. the senior management realized that the industry was, or the technology was at a point where could, you could kind of level up here, if you will. There's a, uh, by moving the software to the cloud, there's so much more that you can do in terms of uh, product efficiencies, in terms of collaboration uh, between accountants, bookkeepers, and their clients. Unfortunately, that, uh, that improvement road takes time. So people have been somewhat resistant to the new software because it just doesn't, it looks and feels different. and it. It costs more, but it also can do more if you know yeah. how to use it. And that's where the value selling comes in. Right. You're, you're talking to people and they're kind of saying like, well, why would I buy this? It's in many cases, you know, 10, 20 times more expensive, depending on what they're set up. Why would I buy this? And you got to have this conversation about how the, uh, the new features can create value, which can be really enjoyable. Right, right. And, and again, create profit. So it's, it's, how do we do that? So ab yes. absolutely in there. And a lot of times it's kind of eventually the pain of running on the old system gets so much that you need to jump over, you yeah. know, and, and we found that for instance, in our, in our CRM, I think you used to use the, yeah, for sure. You would have used the old CRM, Simon. And then we basically eventually went and spent the, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to jump to the to the new CRM, but it's mobile and it's like an an on on you know a scoreboard on an everyday basis, a moment by moment. Someone's moving up the leaderboard, and all this information is there for people on the cloud, like you said, and it's just so so beneficial. And there was a you know it was hundreds thousand dollars over years, but anyhow, the big investment was significant, and that's a big you know sort of risk. 
challenge and to sort of say, well, what, how much of an impact it will be. But for us, it, our business literally jumped by $2.8 million when we installed it. And our averages jumped tremendously and have continued to. And, and I think that has been a big part of it. So I, 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 you know, that's kind of what you're selling the vision of for people. Yeah, that's pretty much what you got to do is people will, people will look and focus on the cost. Yes. And they'll be very hard for them to look past it because they're, they're, they're thinking of their current world Mm-hmm. And just that one line item increasing with everything else staying 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 the same. When in reality, you know, yes, that one line item is going to go up. Your software cost is going to go up, but it's going to do all these other things. It's going to solve all these other problems for you. And if those problems were removed, what would those impacts be? And if yes. you take people down that a bit of that journey, it becomes a little bit easier. Still, it's hard because. You know, you got to, you know, you're a salesperson. Of course, of course, you're going to talk about the, all the good that could happen, sure. <laughs> not necessarily yeah. some of the troubles that could go with it. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So I know you've moved, you know, into sort of, once you describe, I, I guess you've had like, you know, three or four promotions. So you went from account manager to senior account manager, now sales enablement, maybe describe those roles to the leaders listening to sort of get, get them a sense of what that means in the, in the world, those yeah. different types of roles. So at, at, at Intuit, in the channel that I was in uh, as, as an account manager, account manager and senior account manager was basically the same job, just with the senior account manager was with bigger clients. Yes. So in this, in this case, it's kind of the partner cha- channel. Uh, you partner with accounting and bookkeeping firms. And the idea is maybe a firm has 100 clients. Right. And only 10 of them are using our software. You want to get them to understand and see the benefit of our software enough that they will want to bring their clients over to it or any new clients that come along. So you don't actually directly sell the product. You're you're yeah. kind of painting the vision and then relying on accountants and bookkeepers to, to sell for you. What I realized when I was at Intuit was that I, I wanted to thinking about the next steps for myself. And it was actually me wanting to go into sales management. So I think for about a year and a half prior to me moving into sales enablement, I had raised my hand and kind of told my managers and everyone that I, I wanted to do this. So there was extra assignments that I was taking on in order to prepare me for that. So that could be, you know, me coaching people one-on-one through things it could be me kind of running these like group workshops on uh, you know call calibrations everyone listens to a call let's let's dissect it and see what we uh, see what 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 we think me uh, kind of at times running some experiment tests that we that we had so we had a, we had a team of B, of it's called them B, BDR type individuals uh, i yeah. was uh, managing that for a, I, I got to manage that for a brief period period of time so there was there was a lot of things that I was able to do in order to prepare me for for that. All of that really kind of stemmed from, you know, we had this uh, new sales director come in, and he brought with him this sales methodology from uh, from the UK. He he was uh, originally from the Intuit office in the in the in the UK. Right. So this is kind of that like transition value selling. How do you future proof yourself as a salesperson? Because if you Google uh, sell our jobs, it will be obsolete in the next five, 10 years. Salesperson's, you know, nervously high up on that list. And part of that's because uh, the way people buy is, cha- is changing. If you're right. just there to take an order or talk about product features, it's not enough. People can do yes. that on, on online. You need online. a different yes. set of skills to have those value com- conversations. So when he came over and brought that over, I was really excited because it sounded exactly the way that I had always thought sales should be customer centric, yes. like only relating to the customer. You don't talk about things that don't matter to them. And uh, I'd say, fortunately and unfortunately, the the rollout was a bit rocky. Unfortunately, I'd say because for everyone that was a bit of a not uh, not the experience we were hoping for, but great for me because I kind of threw myself at it and really dove in, and because of that. The sales director really liked uh, my attitude and what I yeah. was doing. Um, when I was doing all those coaching things I mentioned before, it was always to that methodology. Yeah, it always surprised me at how resistant some people were. To their credit, it was rough, and sure. it's a weird thing to do to switch how you sell, especially if right. you've been successful in in the past. But um, 
you know, that's really the kind of the thing that, that got me the, these op, these op opportunities. Uh, what I always thought was interesting, I think people missed this, but like in his initial intro of the sales methodology, he kind of gave his life story. And in it was basically that he was a salesperson, he was struggling, he was put on a pip company that he was working for the equivalent of like a rogers but in yes. the uk had taught him this sales methodology he threw himself at it completely turned his life around that's how he got initially the job at intuit he brought that sales methodology to intuit intuit adopted it and the reason that he became our sales director was because of this sales method sales me- yeah. method methodology so this was not a novelty to him this was his religion so yeah. <laughs> I, like no one people just resisted it which yeah. surprised me. So I just, I threw myself at it. I thought it was not an, an opportunity, even if I didn't think it was the right thing to do, which I did. Yeah. And can I stop you? Yeah. I wanted really to put a pin in that, right? Like resistance to change, that is going to cost you money. Yeah. Promotions, stress, like things are going to change. If you don't understand it, go find someone to explain it to you. Okay. It's crazy. Like you said, it's, this is just so clear. This is coming way high up. This is the whole, the whole industry is moving in this direction. And there's all sorts of people who are not willing to change. Yeah. And by the way, it doesn't surprise me at all, Corey, that you were, and you got hands up. Great. So what has Corey done? I'll do more. Where else can I coach? What else can I do? How else can I learn? And I'm going to move in this direction. Although I'm sure there are things that, like you said, were challenging, meaning, oh, I'm doing it different. Anytime we try to do something different, we will be worse initially, yes. right? We will fall back <laughs> yes. and then you make progress forward. So, so it's understanding that, yes, and, and again, maybe my metrics will fall down. My income, maybe even there'll be a, a slight, you know, because we get paid by our metrics, I'll get worse, but I'm going to get better. And it's, it's like, this is, again, like you said, the whole industry, the whole world's moving in that direction, but most people won't move. Yeah. So I want people to get that. Like, it's just, it's so key to go, this is, the, the, you're seeing these opportunities and you're moving with the best practices of the world. Yeah. And to that point, like that, that's exactly why some people resisted it was because it, initially you got worse. I, I, yes. I remember ta- talking to my wife about this where I was like, ah, oh, I just... I just like sold my way out of a couple sales because I was trying to learn this methodology. Right. Well, I say I postponed them. I probably could have closed them immediately. Yeah. Okay. I got I, I got them eventually. Got but them eventually. Yeah. I think yeah people just because it was hard they didn't want to do it one and two. Just as kind of a point out there, there's change that's good and then you but you need to be afraid or be wary of change for the sake of change. And yes. I don't know if there's a good one way to understand when one is one versus the other, what really kind of sold it for me and why this sales methodology made sense is because at its core, this was always about doing right by the customer. It was always about yeah. like like relating it back to what they wanted. And because it was so customer-centric, even if I was struggling with implementing it myself, I kept asking my asking myself, like, this isn't bad. Overall, like I'm, I'm struggling with it now, but the idea of this is good. Therefore, like I can't justify not doing it. So yeah. just yeah. keep going. Yeah, and it's Corey as well. It's also transferable. Yeah, because this is how the leading organizations in the world, uh, you know, sell. This is how we sell now in the student works model. Find it what a client wants. Now it's less complex, of course, than the sales structure that you're doing and transferring people over. So there's probably other ways that. Intuit had been able to sell people which weren't as customer centric, but they were effective. And that isn't as good long term building brand, you know, and, and, and again, having people go, ah, I got it. I got all the reasons this makes so much sense. Intuit's my partner. I can trust yeah. Intuit, all those sorts of things. And then, hey, I'm, I, I won't leave Intuit, right? Like that's, that's what you want as well as, and sometimes as well as a salesperson, you can think less long-term. No, I really just want to make my quarterly numbers. I really just want to make my numbers. And again, I think long-term, that won't serve you as well. I, I agree. It, it, long-term, yeah. it won't. Yeah. So you, you may then kind of wonder, okay, Corey, you're, you're in sales. You want to be a sales manager. How does sales enablement fit, in, fit into this? I was going to ask you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> And I know. I, so go on. <laughs> 
So I was trying to become a sales manager. There were several opportunities that came up that I applied for that I didn't get. And every time that I didn't get one, it hurt. Mm-hmm. It really felt demotivated. And um, uh, kind of sales enablement happened almost by chance, I'd say. It, right. They just so happened to have... And it wasn't even a full-time position at the time. It was um, the stretch assignment. Right. It was going to last for eight months. And mm-hmm. I... I Unfortunately, kind of viewed it as a like a consolation prize a bit, right? Because like it wasn't what I wanted to do. I had kind of set this goal of like, oh, sales manager, that's what I want. And I know that sales enablement doesn't necessarily have the same as good of a reputation as I think it deserves, um, both externally and even internally. Some of the managers uh, at Intuit kind of view it as, again, not super highly. Yes. So uh, I kind of looked at that when I got it as like, a, all right, this is the job I'm going to do. And this is going to this is going to prepare me for the eventual manager job that I'm going to get. Uh, what I can say here is I've been very pleasantly surprised at how uh, much I've enjoyed it. Yeah. When I think about why that is. So I think about like, what I want for uh, my career. And it's not necessarily like, oh, I want to be a sales manager. It's actually the why, the what I want to do is I, I get a lot of satisfaction satisfaction from helping other people. I've always viewed sales in that light. It's not selling stuff. I'm helping someone with one of their problems. And in that same vein, sales management is not about like selling stuff or uh, hitting targets as much as, yes, it is those things. It's about how do I develop the people that are on my team? That's what I really wanted to do. That why hasn't changed, but I was only seeing sales manager as the way to do that. Yes. When in reality, sales enablement, there's a lot in there that that aligns with that. So I had kind of gotten in the way of myself, I think, in uh, in terms of <laughs> of what I wanted to do. So it's a lot more enjoyable. I get to work with uh, with either new hires, bringing them on board, teaching them the sales methodology, or I work with existing teams on some areas of improvement, which... Yeah satisfies the why. So this yes. is something that now I am can consider um, sticking around a little bit more long-term, uh, which is it's kind of crazy to think about that because I had not really considered it at, at all. There's still some work that I want to do in determining what the right next move is. Next but, move is uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's, um, I, I got I to gotta say, it's, it's worked out a lot better and now it has transitioned into full-time and um, yeah, yeah, it's going well. You know, one of the things that I really see that there's missing in the world is that, you know, the sales forces and the, you know, the, the, the programs have driven, you know, metric sales. Okay. How many calls you're making? How many meetings you're making? How many, you know, and it's, and it's kind of, you know, so management is, is very delivered around the metric and who's actually improving the skill set. Who's improving the enrollment? Who's improving the engagement? And that's what sales and ambulance is doing. And by the way, in my mind, it should all fall in the same space. But but I think that's why Intuit's doing it and other smart organizations, because I'm seeing it in other organizations as well, is that we need to be coached. You know, coaching is so important. And uh, so, yeah, I think there's a real, real, real opportunity there. I'm really excited. And, and, and again, always as well, it's, it's you know, I think the most successful people in organizations are looking out for the organization, not just for themselves. Just like you were saying earlier, you know, the best salespeople are looking out for the customer, not just themselves. You know, I make the customer win. I'm going to win. I help the organization win. I'm going to win. It gets noticed. It does. (laughs) You know, especially, and especially when you're on time, when you do what you say, all those things. So what about big failures or mistakes? And what did you learn from those? Yeah, so the big failure that I can think of in my career, and I, I kind of uh, kind of two that I'm that I'm gonna, that I'm going to bring up, and the first one is uh, letting other people define success. Okay. So when what I mean by that is I'm going to go back to Laurier here. You know, when you were in the Laurier program, uh, specifically the business program, I can't speak to other ones. Right. Um, you know, it was never really talked about, but it was definitely there. So like when I say defining success, if you were in finance. Success was working on Bay Street after you graduated. Yeah. If you were yeah. doing accounting, success was getting your designation, working for one of the big four. If you were yeah. in the marketing program like I was, success was working for one of the big CPG com- companies. Yeah. 
and I had really, uh, you know, latched onto that as much as I uh, don't want to admit to it. I mean, I like sure. I like Lori a lot. I think it's probably the second best decision I've ever made in my life. Uh, first one is marrying my my wife. Good call. Collective, you can collectively <laughs> go ah <"Aw,"> now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, but um, I always kind of struggled initially in my career because uh, even though I was kind of working in consumer goods, it wasn't for one of the big companies. So I saw all my like a lot of the people that I went to school with, a lot of my friends getting the jobs that I thought I wanted. And I always felt right. a little bit down on myself for that. And, you know, it didn't help that, you know, I was actually kind of okay at getting interviews, but right. I, they just never materialized into, into, right. into anything. And why I think that is, is I mentioned er, er, earlier, like, it, you know, you weren't, I realized that I wasn't excited and motivated by the industry. And I think, you know, subconsciously, I knew that before I consciously did. And that was coming out in some of the interviews uh, where it's just like, you know, you're just, you just are not bringing the energy. Right. But I hadn't like come to terms with that. So I still felt uh, pretty bad about myself uh, many, many times. And it kind of got to a point where like, yeah, just things kind of broke. And that's when I hit right. the hit the reset button. And Ever since then, I've done a much better job, I believe, at defining success for myself, and it has evolved over 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 time. But like, I'm kind of going to go back to my why is now like I want to help develop people. That hasn't changed. The kind of awesome. the where I want to do it is now I've defined it as the industry or the company that is delivering the change. Change is going to be a big part of my life, and anyone who's listening to this. You, life is going to change a lot. So I want to yes. be on the companies that are selling the change, not the ones who are being changed upon. Uh, <laughs> Love that. Love that. <laughs> so that would be mistake number one, like not being comfortable enough to define uh, what I what I wanted and then go out and do it just because it was a little bit different than what, what Laurier said it was. Yeah. Uh, the second mistake I made, which is much more recent, was letting um, not being flexible on, I'm going to call it on the how, like mm. the why was clear. I want to help people. I want to develop people. I want that. But I was stuck on sales manager is the only way to do that. That was the yeah. how to the why. Right. And I'm thinking like, if I had not had this opportunity to go into sales enablement, this entire potential path, I wouldn't have realized it. So now I've got the kind of two options laid out in front of me uh, that I can that I can do that will satisfy the why, yeah. and I think could really work out well. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. I love that. And again, I love as well just just to you know highlight that for our leaders. The world's going to change. Are you going to be someone who's going to be changed upon, meaning commoditized? You know, beyond the outs. You know, artificial intelligence, all these enormous changes that are coming our way. Or are you going to be someone who's going to be out leading the change? That's where we want to be. That's what we want to be, you know. Um, and uh, so that's that's fantastic. So as you went from being, you know, a university student to a to a real full time creator in the in in the world, what what did you need to change about yourself, Corey? I actually feel like Student Works did a lot of uh, a lot of the prep work on that. Uh, <laughs> and I say that like um, when I was got that first full time job. And I was in charge of the e-commerce the side side of things. It right. was really surprising to me how how much impact I could have as someone just out of school, like literally a year out of out of school, and I'm I'm just making this huge impact. And I I think I credit that a lot to the fact that like a lot of the legwork had already been done. I didn't, I knew how to make it. Like, I knew how to make an impact. I was accountable to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So that part uh, definitely uh, was already set. I think. Again, the big the big change for me, kind of going back to what my previous answer was, I needed to be more comfortable with what I wanted and uh, confident in going out to get it. For sure, I think those would be the the way that I would answer that question. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And there's and there's a lot to figure out in the world, right? Like, and that's why I really love again getting the people, you know, at different stages of their career, you know, on here going, okay, you know, like there's going to be some stuff to figure out, you know, and again, having the the gumption to to reset, right? Like, okay, hey, I'm willing to go go back to go forward, right? Like that's, yeah, that's something that many successful people do. Many, many successful people do in their careers. It's really interesting because I have, um, I mean, at the time, 
like yeah. you're like you're 25 you spent four 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 years and there's like these thoughts in your head it's like well i've already committed four years to this so i may as well keep going like so yeah. it's it's all set in stone now um <laughs> which is which is, which is not a great way to think about it you're 25 yeah. uh, or when i was 25 how i kind of thought about that was well i'm going to be working at least probably until i'm 65 yeah it's just like use that as the you know worst case scenario yes. or best case depending on if you have yeah. how much you enjoy you what, like you, what you what you do but cool so i'm 25 i'm gonna be working until i'm 65 i got like four decades ahead of me so yeah. if i make a little bit of a change now it's probably going to work out where i get the bulk of my years doing something i want to do and i actually know several people who have come up to me and said they are interested in making a change from say the cpg world to uh to something else and it's they're not because they don't want to accept taking a step back and the longer you wait the harder that becomes um so i would say like yeah if you're if you're not feeling it go for it it's definitely better now another thing i would say is that if you are looking to change an industry uh it's it's a little bit harder to do that than i originally thought kind of the the working line that i got a lot of the times was if you just work at a big company you can go anywhere you want well not really um mm-hmm. with the 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 once you start down an industry it is a little bit harder to change uh to change paths than i originally thought now i say that but the good news is it is possible it's yeah. just you've got to leverage uh, i've only really seen it done by leveraging your network yes so if if i can i, I like it's like when i switched that was that was an i got referred into that into that bdr job yeah my wife switched uh industries as well a little bit and she was referred into her job uh it's pretty much the only way that i've seen it done so if i can here because i know we're 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 approaching our time just want to talk a little bit about networking if if that's okay chris perfect oh that's great and and by the way it's so important my daughter switched careers and paths and again networked into into roles and tried a number of times to get into companies ended up not now really super satisfied so absolutely yeah. So I, if you are listening to this and you're in university, you've probably heard people tell you that networking is so important and yeah. it's true, but that advice is frustrating because it's so ambiguous. It it doesn't like it, you, you can't quantify that. So I took a look at my path and I'll use me as an example and hopefully it'll, it'll quantify it for anyone who's listening. So uh, we'll, we'll look at a period of time, 2005, when I got into university to today, right. 2020. So that's a 15-year time frame. In that 15 years, I've been hired eight times. And only two of those times were from me just blindly applying to a job. One of them was Student Works, and that was 2005, 2006. And the second time was my first co op job immediately after Student Works, which was in 2007. So from 2007, I have not gotten a job just by applying right they've either like most of them have been from networking there's one asterisk on that which is uh, one time a company reached out to me but that's still not the traditional applying uh through the yes. front door kind of thing yes. so yeah. that's the impact that it's done for me and that's all great you might be thinking but like how do i network so i've got a couple of um i've got a couple of uh, tips on that so if you're in university Look around at the people that you're in your classes with. Chances are those are the people who will, you will be networking at some point in time in the future. So this is how you can uh, kind of get going with, with, with that. And this is actually going back to some of the original values of student works taught. It was kind of going over. Right. So there's a great quote that I guess can summarize this too. And I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's my Angelo's uh, years from now, people will forget what you said. They will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Definitely. Years from now, when you are you know, reaching out to someone to network, they're not going to remember what you did. They're just going to remember like, are you a good person? Yes or no. I'm going to use a bit of a gut check and that's how yeah. the doors will get open. So how do you, you want to get to a point where that's the reputation you have, or that's the feeling that you get from people. So how do you do that? Great. Let's let's talk about that. If you are the individual who is, you know, at universities really focusing on the studies and like doing great in group projects, being accountable from that perspective, awesome. People are going to remember you as that accountable person. They're going to feel confident in 
in recommending you, but you're not doing as good of a job of casting the net as wide as you can. So effect, you need to get out there and meet your, meet your peers. So effectively, what I'm saying is if you're that person who's studying a lot and doing great in school, great. Probably you should go see, go to a couple keggers and meet yes. people. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Now, alternatively, if you're the opposite person who's going to keggers all the, all the time, great. You're casting your net wide, but what is the the reputation that you're building for you for yourself. Are you right. that person who is accountable, who is doing the things that they are expected to, and maybe you should spend a little bit more time uh, doing 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 that. Because if you kind of balance both of those things, then you get a greatly wide net of people who do trust you and are confident in you, who feel good about you, and that's how doors uh, will open. And that's like that's how I got into into it. I was referred into someone that I hadn't spoken to in years. Like it was one of those, like, I remember you, I have good feelings about, about you. Yeah. I feel confident in referring you. And that's where I'm at now. I think it's, thank you very much. And for redirecting or directing our conversation today. So, so thank you, Corey. And, and I know my, my daughter has been impacted by people referring her and her referring, and it's really interesting. Those are the types of things. No, I can really trust this person. This person's really great. They fit in our culture. You know, and and again, you know, a high performance culture. Um, and remember as well, like I I love, you know, people talked when I was at U of T and university. It's not what you know, it's who you know. No, it's who you know that think highly of you. That's the piece, right? It's who you know that think highly of you. So, and also as well, if we're talking about networking tips, another thing is don't be selfish, you know, take the call. Like anybody who calls me, I take the call. I was on the phone last night with a, a lawyer grad, uh, uh, and and it was what reason do I have to call and talk to the lawyer grad? Simple. It's just, of course, I'm going to. Hey, he reached out. Great guy. Worked on our program, and there was an opportunity. I'm connecting with someone. There's there, there's an opportunity, and of course, what did I do? I asked him, does he have a referral? Because <laughs> he loved our program, and we'll see what happens. But it's it's. It's, you know, so make a request, but be of service. And isn't life great when we can be of service, Corey, right? Yeah. That's what I do every day. I help people. So it's not being so stuck on, oh, how can I make some money? Uh, That's a really, really cheap way to live. So what key habits would someone want to steal from you? I know you've already talked about, you know, you just the four referability habits. Any other key habits, Corey? Those four are the, really the main ones. Um, I didn't really talk about showing up early too much to work, but like that gets noticed too. Like it was such an easy thing. I'm like, I just showed up at 8.30 and it's like, oh, well, Corey's got this reputation of, of, of showing up early. Yeah. Okay, great. Yes. I just didn't want to sit in traffic. Yes, <laughs> so. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, pretty simple. Simple things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if there's, if it's a whole lot, a whole lot more different than what I've or, I've already said. I think that like a lot of people when they're out into the working world or making that transition think that, you know, success comes from these big grand actions. Like the the person who like, you know, oh, I cracked this code, I analyzed this data in a in a in a different way that no one else could. When in reality, it's it's far more basic and unfortunately kind of boring in that yeah. it's the small things that really compound over time. The, what's the line? You want to be successful in basketball? Don't miss the layups. Just yeah. don't yeah. worry so much about doing the big the big things. Worry yeah. about just getting the small habits uh, habits done right. And I'll, I'll talk about just how small I mean, especially when you're just starting off in your career. A lot of young people just don't show up every day and don't show up on time. So you want to you want to impress your manager. It can be as simple as showing up early consistently. And you will be ahead of everyone. (laughs) But what it says is I'm putting my, I, I make my career is important to me. Yeah. I'm here lights on also as well. Like you said, engaged, committed, focused. All right. It's like a basketball game to me. It's not even the layups. It's more, Hey, did you play defense? Are you paying attention? Right. Did you watch the other person back screen you, you know, all those sorts of things that really, really make a difference for, for your success. So, um, final question. All right. When you consider and you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Uh, the leader of tomorrow to me is someone who is going to embrace change. Um, it's kind of a common thing for me 
is mm-hmm. change is going to happen to us in our in our lifetimes faster than anyone else. Uh, so the leader of tomorrow is going to be someone who can embrace change uh, while still having some of those core fundamentals. Showing up, doing your work, doing what you say, that's never going to go away. But if you can do all that and embrace change and move with it, you're going to be far more be- be- better off. And even if that change is hard, it means you've got to you know, kind of take a close look at what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm and change something about how you approach things, that to me is what a leader of tomorrow is going to do. I love that. And if you're resisting change, go get in a conversation with someone who's, who's honest and a, a good mentor or, or, or a good friend who, you know, and remember a good friend, you know, a lot of people have friends who, Corey, you don't call me on my bullshit and my excuses. I won't call you on yours. Those aren't friends in my mind. You know, that those are those are people who are going to let you live a life that you're you're so much more capable of. So so let's let's have people who again are going to be really real with you. Yes, the rare the, I only have a few people who will who are, you know, I call them the the most honest people I know. And yeah. I say that kind of jokingly because that means they are they are they're gonna tell you what they feel. Yeah. And often I mean they're always doing it from a place of love. It's not yeah. to like make fun of you. It's not judgments. Yeah. You said you were going to do it this way and you're not. So what, what gives? Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So Corey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much. And again, one of the things I want to share it to you is I can just tell the thoughtfulness that you, you know, came onto the pod and that you really considered and really want to deliver to our leaders today. So, so just outstanding work. Really appreciate it. I've listened to several of your podcasts. I love them. They're fantastic. Everyone should listen to a few of these every now every now and then because uh, the the insights you get in are fantastic. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much. You have a fantastic day. Cheers. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.